Good morning. I want to just say that we, Dr. Tanya has been such an inspiration for us. She's been here about a week. Uh, today in the lobby she has a table and then also she'll be here at one for a meet and greet in the fireside room. I'm telling you, she is being used by the Lord like crazy. Her testimonies and the stories that she's gone through, they're all amazing. Right, Greg? When you, just what, you, what, you, what the Lord's doing in your life is very inspiring for us, and we're thankful that you came all the way here to talk to us and meet us. So, And then I, Mike and Linnea are, are here, and many of you know Mike and Linnea from way back, but can we just say hi there? Okay, so we're in First Peter. Would you stand? I'm going to read the first nine verses. We're going to talk about Peter this morning. So in Peter, First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So, Lord, we, we give our hearts and minds, and it's been prayed a couple times already this morning, that we might hear from you, and, and Lord, follow after you, and do the things you've called us to do. And we are thankful, Lord, for your word. We know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And if we're going to grow in our faith, your word is so essential for that. Your Holy Spirit is essential, that he would minister to us and teach us and guide us. And Lord, I pray you'd give us ears to hear, that you might be able to bless the things I prepared, break them fresh and feed us, Lord. We are hungry for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So that song that was a part of our little bumper video, I, I wanted to put it up there again just to read it, because I think it says well, as, one, as well as another song that we're going to do after the service today, and I'm shrinking. usually doesn't go down. Okay. <laughs> so here it is. Because he lives, Bill and, Gaither, uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote this. God sent his son. They call him Je called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know. He holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Second verse. And then one day, we'll all cross that river, picturing death, 
and fight life's final war with pain. And then, as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory, and I'll know he reigns. No question about it. Are you looking forward to that day? Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me tell you, his kingdom is coming. He's going to set it up on earth, and we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. So I would say that life is worth the living for a few more years. Now, this life is preparing us for the kingdom. This isn't just sort of kind of we go through life and what, no. God's working in our lives to prepare us to rule and reign with him. What that's going to look like, I'm not sure, but we have some parables that talk about rewards, talk about being given five cities or two cities or one city. Somehow or other, God is going to, is preparing us for our responsibilities in that kingdom. Wow. His, life is worth the living because he lives. And as he, as he says here, um, though now for a little while, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We don't see him now, but let me say we're going to see him again. He's coming. So, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what Peter is going to be writing about. So, this morning, I wanted to talk about Peter. This guy is an amazing encouragement, I think, to probably just everyone in this room because of how he is. And he's usually the first named. So, all that he went through, he became this pillar for many people, and that hasn't ceased. It continues to be that. So Peter and Andrew, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter and Andrew were brothers. They were fishing partners with James and John. The son, they're called the sons of Zebedee or the son of, sons of thunder. These guys were also thunderous, as Peter was many times, in different ways. He was married. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus went and healed his wife's mother. Now, Uh, The theologian and philosopher Clement of Alexandria said that St. Peter was married, had children, and witnessed his wife's martyrdom in Rome. Now, these things are not not necessarily concrete, but there are different things that would say that Peter was married and probably had children and actually saw his wife martyred. Andrew and John were both followers of John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointed Andrew to Jesus. And then Andrew went and brought Peter to Jesus. So you have this whole thing that's going on in the family, in these these brothers' relationships. So Jesus called these brothers to follow him in a pretty dramatic way. And it's interesting because how it started is how Jesus finalized it in Peter's life. So he got into Simon's boat, preface what we're going to read, to teach the multitudes that were pressing upon him. Okay, that's what's going on here. Peter and Andrew are fishing, James and John. Peter gets into, uh, Jesus gets into Peter's boat. And so in Luke chapter 5, we pick it up in verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to who? Simon, launch out into the deep and let, your nets, and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So they got so many, so many fish, the boats are starting to sink. Pretty good haul, wouldn't you say? 
I mean, you always want Jesus as your fishing partner. That's what I think. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at, this is, so, this is Peter. He fell down at Jesus' knee, knee saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's the beginning. He go, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their net boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Dramatic turnaround. Peter witnessed Jesus raising Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue's little daughter, 12 years old, from death to life. Peter saw that. He's the only disciple who walked on water. In fact, as far as I know, he's the only person I know other than Jesus that walked on water. Now, he didn't do it very long, but he did it. So it should be encouraging us to get out of our boat sometimes at Jesus' command, and let's see what's happening. So Peter is the disciple who, who also made that foundational confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed it to you. So Peter's thinking, wow, I'm pretty, I'm pretty top-notch. I, I have the confession. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But no sooner does he say that, and he turns around, and we pick this up in Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. So, so Jesus said, you are Peter. You're the little rock. But on this rock, the confession that Petra, I'm going to build my church. What, you, what is the church built on? It's built on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So God is building his church, that's us, on a foundation that's unsinkable, unmovable. That Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And through him, we have salvation. That's what he's telling Peter. So no sooner does that all happen... He began to show his disciples. So this is how that foundation is going to be laid, if you will. That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Here's Peter all over again. Then Peter took him aside. <laughs> you, ever take, you ever find yourself taking Jesus aside? Now, hold on a second. This, this doesn't really, this isn't what I like. This isn't going to add up. So I have a better idea. You ever have better ideas than Jesus? Well, this is what's going to happen. You take him aside. That's fine. But he is going to tell you, hold on a second, as he tells Peter. Took him aside. Began to rebuke him. No way that's not going to happen to you. I mean, you. And so notice what he says. He says, he turned to Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. Wow. Peter went from being this guy that had this revelation from God upon which the whole church was going to be built to being actually a mouthpiece of Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You have to have a perspective that God has. How does he see these things? And Satan is going to come against that continuously. So Peter also, along with James and John, was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he saw Jesus in glory for a moment with Peter, James, Peter and, and James and John. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, 
It's good for us to be here. Now, many of you know the story. So here he is in the light, and he sees his glorious things, and he says to Jesus up on the top, hey, you know what? Let's just stay right here. Let's just camp out. And now how many of you have done that with the Lord? This is so glorious. I just want to stay here. That happens a lot of times at conferences and retreats. This is so great. But Jesus said, no, we're not staying. We're going back down to the valley because that's where the needs are. That's where I need to be walking and you with me. So let it be good for us. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Sounds pretty spiritual, but it was pretty wrong. It was Peter and John who made preparation for Jesus at the Last Supper. It was Peter who, when Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, we read, he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus said, what, what I'm doing now you do not understand, but you will understand afterward. And Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. This is Peter. Jesus said, if I don't wash, you have no part in me. Peter said, okay, hold on a second. <laughs> go at it, go at it. You just wash. Because Peter loved Jesus. In his immaturity, in the process God was taking him through, calling him and all those things. And he was an emotional guy, passionate. Loved Jesus, but man, did he put his foot in his mouth so many times. But when it came to understanding even a little bit what it meant if Jesus were to leave him, he said, there's no way I ever want that. And I think we all say the same thing. There's no way that we'd ever want that. It was Peter, when Jesus declared the one who would betray him at the Last Supper in those final chapters in John chapter 13 through 21, or 13 through 17, and then 18, when he's arrested, Jesus is. And Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Who, who, what, one of us is going to betray you? Which to me is fascinating. Because though Jesus knew it, none of the other disciples knew it. Jesus didn't talk about Judas, you're going to be betraying me. He loved Judas. He wasn't leaking out the information. And it's the same with us. God's not seeking to shame us. He's seeking to forgive us. He's not seeking to put us out there as, as dirty laundry. No, he is the protector, preserver. He loves us. And love covers a multitude of sin. And so when he said that, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assured I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. How would you like to be Peter sitting there with Jesus? I'm sure he's going, no way. No way. That's why Jesus continued. It's a different chapter, but same, same string. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Peter had been with Jesus long enough to know, hey, when he's saying something, he's always right. <laughs> and so he said that, you're going to deny me. And he's troubled, as all the disciples, because they didn't know, some, one of us is going to be betrayed, and they don't know who it is. Peter motioned to, to, to John, hey, who was leaning on Jesus' breast, would you ask him who it is you're talking about? And now Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions, but we're not so I would have told you. 
I go to repair a place, look at eyeball to eyeball, for you. For you. That's what he says to us. He's preparing a place for us. When this tent is dissolved in Corinthians, we have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And who prepared us for that? God. And so he says, let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It was Peter who, with James and John, was sleeping in the garden when he should have been praying. How many would say, I got that one? (laughs) Sleeping when we should be praying. And Jesus had to wake him up twice in the garden there. And it says they were sleeping from sorrow. And sorrow can really weaken our intentions. It can weaken the desires we have. And they were sleeping in the garden. It was Peter who in the same garden, as they're coming to arrest Jesus, takes out his sword. And he goes after Malchus. And he cuts off his ear when he wanted to probably cut off his head. Because he loved Jesus. He'd wield that sword, thinking, hey, this, and he cuts off. And then Jesus says, put up the sword. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? Peter didn't get it. None of the disciples got it. In fact, the world didn't get it. It was Peter who followed closely and watched as Jesus was being tried before the Sanhedrin there in that courtyard with John. It was Peter who, as Jesus had predicted in that courtyard, denied him three times. We read in in Luke, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you're saying. This is the third time. Immediately, while he was still speaking, third time he denied you, just like Jesus had said. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This, to me, is one of the most moving passages, I think, in all the Bible. As Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And there he goes, one time. I don't even, and finally, he cursed it. I don't even know the man. He said, may I be accursed forever if I do. And Jesus turns to him. No words necessary. None. He looks at him and says, I love you. He's saying, it didn't surprise me. Sometimes I think (laughs) we think God's surprised. He's never surprised. We're the ones that don't want to sort of acknowledge the fact that God knows. No hiding. And Peter says, remember the word of the Lord, how he had said, before the rooster crows, you deny me three times. Notice, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Those are such healing encounters with God. When those kinds of truths begin to surface, then God can begin to dry the tears and heal the life. And that is going to happen for Peter. Jesus isn't leaving him hanging. But Jesus was first going to be hanging himself on a cross so that he could minister healing and restoration and forgiveness to Peter and to many others. It was Peter then who ran to the tomb in John chapter 21. He ran to the tomb, or chapter 20, when he heard that the tomb was empty from the women. 
And he runs, but he wasn't a very good runner, so John outran him. I think John might have been a little younger. And John gets to the, gets to the tomb, but he didn't go in. Peter comes, brushes him aside, and he's right in the tomb. And he looks at these things, and he's marveling. You see, he's processing. Could it be? Is that possible? After his resurrection, it was Peter that Jesus appeared to individually. Part of his restoration. Jesus appears to the 11, breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Then it was Peter, after that whole thing, who went fishing again. And I have to believe that in part he was discouraged, wasn't sure what's going on. He hasn't seen Jesus. Jesus sort of pops in and pops out, you know. And so in John chapter 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others. So they're together again, six of them. And they said to him, we are going with. So Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back to what I know. <laughs> I'm going to go back to what I used to do. And all the other ones said, we're going with you. And so when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. I'm sorry I don't have these in here. Jesus stood on the shore, but picture with me the story. They're out in the boat. They've caught nothing all night. Now, that's a bummer for any fisherman. But I know undergirding this whole thing is a greater bummer. They're wondering, what's going on? What's happening? What's the next step? And so, I love this story. So, Jesus is standing there. They didn't know it was him. They see him. He says to him, my children, have you any food? I think there's a sort of like, who is this guy? They said, no. I mean, if there were food, do you think we'd be sitting in a boat? Kind of like irritated. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Sound familiar? This is how it all began. So cast it. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. I'm telling you, you want Jesus as your fisher? You want him when you're going fishing? Let me say this. He's going to make him fishers of men. Without Jesus, we are not fishers of men. We can't be. Because we're calling them to him, not ourselves. So therefore, that disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So John says, it's the Lord. What does Peter do? He's out of that boat as fast as he can. Put on his tunic. He's out and he's swimming for sure. He loves Jesus. The other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200, dragging the net with fish. They said, hey, there's no way we're going to let this thing go. That's a good fisherman. Particularly if you've got a boatload. <laughs> so Simon Peter went up and Jesus said, bring me some of the fish that you've just caught. You see, Jesus is restoring these men in understanding that he knows what he's talking about. He's called them to follow him. And so Peter went up. <laughs> Jesus said it, I'm going to do it. He went up, he dragged the net to land full of large fish. and even counts them, 153. Now here's the difference. Here, it specifically says the net was not broken. Wasn't broken. Jesus is the master of the net itself. 
So Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? So something, maybe possibly the disfigurement, we don't know. But they're, they're, they're saying, you know, is this Jesus? Well, you'd think they'd say, of course. But there's still something in their mind, something that's going on. And so they, they, none of them asked him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread, gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Picture, shores of, of the Sea of Galilee. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples. So, there on that shore in Galilee, it was Peter that Jesus reassured, I'm not done yet. It's not over. All that's happened. And so in John chapter 21, we're familiar with it, but I want to put it up here and just read through it. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? What's he pointing to? I'm not sure, but it was either the fish or the other disciples because he boasted, though they all deny you, I'll never deny you. Or Peter, do you love the fish more? Do you love your, your occupation? Or do you want to follow me? Do you love me that supremely? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said again to him the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Not more than these other times. Just do you love me? Do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him again, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, he used a different word here. Many of you know this, but a different word, a different Greek word for love, phileo. Do you phileo me? Not do you agape me with, with, uh, with unconditional sacrificial love, but do you phileo? Is it, do we even have a back and forth here? And it says, that's why it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. What a fantastic restoration. You know all things. It's so good to just unload it all on the Lord and say, you know. You know all things. You know that I love you. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. Nothing changed except Peter. And that's the same thing for us in our relationship. God is working our lives to change me, to change you personally. And all these factors in Peter's life are the same factors that come to bear in our lives. This one says, I'm not done. Nothing's changed as my calling on your life. I will get you to, I know these things. I know this all about you, but it hasn't changed anything because I already knew those things about you. And it's the same thing with God. I tell the Lord sometimes, you know, you chose me, so I'm your problem. You knew what you were getting. And I'm finding more and more, it's almost like you can't do wrong so long as you're continually coming back to the Lord. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's needed restoration, whatever it is. It's almost like the things that happen in our lives are God's processes of causing all things to work together for good to those who love God are called according to his purpose. For when we foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son. So what's God's will for our lives? To conform us into the image of Jesus. How does he do that? He lets us live it. A living hope 
in his processes to bring about the transformation of our lives, the, confer, the conforming our lives to be more and more like Jesus. And, you know, the problem for all of us is we're too close to ourselves. But you begin growing in your relationship with the Lord, and it will be, become more and more visible. I thank God I'm not what I was. Can you say that today? But I thank God I'm not what he's got yet prepared. How is it that God changed our lives? It's through being involved in the things he's called us to. Being actively doing the things God's called. Even though we may feel totally inadequate, total failures. God is working in our lives. So Peter with the 11 were given the same great commission. The same thing is to go out and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them, discipling them. Just as Jesus did for us and so for Peter. Peter with the 11 were commanded to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. Peter with the 11 saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Acts chapter 1, now when he spoke of these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a, in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who, had, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you, they were having a trouble with that, into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, they had just experienced three of the most incredible years ever in their lives. They had seen things, heard things. So when they're here, when they say, hey, what are you doing? Listen, he's going just for a little season. He's coming back. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, he's listed first many times. Peter, James, is this up there? Okay, you can, I don't have this on there, but they're all watching. All of them. And I think there's a need in our lives to understand we're all watching. Not each other, we're watching. We want to see Jesus come in. So Peter was recognized then in the, in the in the early church, as a leader among even the apostles, though equal with them. Peter pointed out the scriptural prophecy about Judas needing to be replaced by the church in leadership. He experienced the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. He preached the first sermon, get this, first sermon, 3,000 souls were saved. Wow. It was Peter who with his friends were used by God to heal a lame man. And turn a city upside down. Peter was arrested and told not to talk about Jesus. He said, well, whatever you think about that, I'm not going to stop. The Holy Spirit is now residing in his life. He changed man even that way. He proceeded, proceeded over the thing with Ananias and Sapphira as, a, as the church, a leader in the church. He, had, he rebuked Simon the sorcerer. There were many things. It was Peter who was in the house of Cornelius. A Gentile. And he went, which was not to be done in the Jewish mind. And there he saw the Holy Spirit poured out on the Gentiles. Salvation was for them, just as it was for the Jews. It was Peter who, after Herod killed James, was himself arrested. Herod was going to kill him. And then this angel woke him up. Now, that's fascinating to me, too. He's on, the, on, he's on death row. And he's sleeping in the cell. 
I don't know what that means. I don't know if he was just a tired guy all the time or what, because he goes to sleep soon and pray. And the Lord delivered him by an angel. And then it was also Peter who Paul had to rebuke. Because even after all this, Peter began being hypocritical. When the leaders of the church came, he started to separate himself from the Gentiles because he didn't want them to think of him. Do you wrestle with those kinds of things? What are people going to think if I'm in this? Peter did. Peter did, even with the Holy Spirit. So in, in closing, there are so many things about Peter that make him a favorite among so many believers. He was a fisherman, a husband, an apostle. He was a man of deep devotion, passion, and conviction who was not afraid to speak his mind. But he was also a man who would flash with temper, but at the same time he'd weep in in bitterness. A man who could go from one extreme to the other, from fear and denial to boldness and martyrdom. Wilmington put this. He said, the contrast between Peter of the gospel Impulsive, unsteadfast, slow of heart to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, and the same apostle as he meets us in the book of Acts. Firm and courageous, ready to go into prison and to death. The preacher of the faith, the interpreter of scripture, is one of the most convincing proofs of the power of Christ's resurrection and the mighty working of the Pentecostal gift of the Holy Spirit. It's just a testimony to what God did in Peter's life as he wants to do in us. So it was Peter who Jesus reassured there on the Sea of Galilee. After all he had gone through. He says, Most sure I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, what? Follow me. Follow me. Although Peter's death is not given in Scripture, numerous writers of the time or shortly thereafter, described his death as having occurred in Rome during the reign of the Emperor Nero, who was vicious, in 64 CE. Peter was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as Jesus Christ. Fulfilling what Jesus said. So there are so many things about Peter that we can draw from in laying just a little bit of a foundation for his book. And I I wrote, Brothers and Sisters in the Lord, Peter reminds us it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. In fact, it's going to be more than okay if what he writes here, which it is, is true. Yeah, he has key words, suffering, 17 times. Another key word goes right with it is glory, 16 times. Salvation, another key word. Grace, another key word. See, all these things are a part of the mix of Jesus saying to you and to me every day, just follow me. Just follow me. And so in chapter 21 again, then Peter, I love this again, Peter turned around and seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following, who also had leaned in Jesus' breath at supper saying, Lord, who is it who betrays you? Peter seeing him, I think Peter's soul restored here because we're back to old Peter in some ways. He sees John said, but Lord, what about this guy? Let me say to you, we all do that. We're all Peters in that sense. What about this guy? What about that person? What about this? And Jesus said, if I will it remain till I come, what is that to you? It doesn't matter. You follow me. 
And that to me is a simplicity of what God is wanting to us to do so that he can do what he wants to do. It's so like get your eyes off everyone else and follow Jesus and learn his voice. In fact, I'm loving Wednesday nights because we're going through Daniel. And we, have, we have some young guys that are teaching along with some of us older guys. We're spending about 25 minutes. I'm, I'm sort of, this is a shameless plug. But the desire that we had is that we can take God's word, fellowship around it with the truth that's in it. Then we have a little panel. We just, all of us together interact around the word of God. And then we spend the last five, ten minutes just to go to God with the things that he's spoken to us. So we can hear him and follow him and not be led astray by all the other voices that are crowding us out of our fellowship with God. Jesus said, just follow me. It's not complicated, Peter. But here's the, another encouragement. That's exactly what Peter was doing for three plus years. Oh, it had all kinds of faults and failures and foot in the mouth and even being a voice of Satan. But he never stopped following Jesus. And let me say to you, as you look back in your life, as I began, so I'll say now, you know, you may feel like at some point you weren't following, and possibly that's true for some season. But let me say to you, are you following him today? Because that's the only door back. It's just say, okay, there's only one that I'm going to follow. I want to learn his voice. I want to know my shepherd. I want to be doing the things he's called me to do. And Jesus said, it's very simple. It's not complicated. Just follow me. Follow me. The living hope is found only and always in believing in and following Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you again for these things in your word that are there for our instruction. They're there for our admonition. They're there to speak to our hearts your truth that you might take by your Holy Spirit and transform us, conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, I thank you for your Holy Spirit as those of us who are saved. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and we are faithless. We know, Lord, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. We know that you said no one can, can snatch us out of your hand. And so, Lord, my prayer is for all of us as we're going to close in the song here. Lord, we just recommit ourselves to simplifying these things and just say, Lord, we just want to follow you. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before you, endured the cross, despised its shame, and now you're sat down at the right hand of God our great high priest, our great intercessor, the one you said come to the throne of grace is to you, our advocate. And we love you, Lord. And we worship you. We give you all the glory and all the praise because there's only one who is worthy. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Would you stand and let's just worship the Lord together for this final song.